The deputy director stared at Imran for a while and then said, I think Rahman Saib doesn't know, but I guess... If you meet him, said Imran, please relate this particular Confucian proverb to him. When an honest man doesn't find refuge in his own house, he turns to dark alleys and has dealings with the barking dogs therein. The deputy director was left staring at Imran. This is Genre. We're reading genre classics and pulp gold, and we watch the occasional blockbuster, including Barbie. We try to keep all of our references to books and authors that we've previously read together for this podcast, so we can draw connections between the genres. Can we create a web of connections between books in different genres and time periods? I don't know, but I'm going to try. Right now, we are reading spy novels with House of Fear by Ibn Isafi. And this week, we have a big announcement. We are continuing our Patreon. Please go check it out. Subscribing gives you access to our post-episode episode, where we go off the record and talk, really, how we think about the book. Check the link in the description to learn more. All right, I am Zach. And this week, I am excited to talk about... Oh, wait, no, we're not excited for anything. This week, we're interested. I am interested in... This book got me thinking about craft, about what makes a good story, about elements that are either heavily weighted or underweighted, and how that affects the reading of the book. You know, character, narrative, world-building detail, that, that kind of stuff. Dialogue. Yeah, this one got me thinking about that a lot. This week, I'm interested in creating your detectives. Each author seems to, well, you have to spend a lot of time to create a character, but there is something unique about each detective. And we've read Sherlock Holmes now, we've read uh, Poirot, we've read Mike Hammer, and now we have Imran. So I'm interested to see how Ibn Isafi creates this unique way of doing detective work. John, I'm interested in um, what this author is bringing to the the spy slash detective genre you know we've we've not read a book from india slash pakistan really before i'm just curious if that's bringing anything to the into the genre or is it just is it derivative from earlier fiction we have not read all of sherlock holmes together but i did blast out the story pretty recently and there is one story in there that starts off as the investigation of a murder but then it turns out the players involved are all diplomats. Whoa. And it, it turns into Sherlock Holmes acting as a spy to settle matters of like international importance. Like it's diplomatic documents that have been stolen and hidden. Someone's killed in order to, you know, cover it up, yada, yada, yada. So for me, reading this ostensibly detective novel, we read it as a spy novel, but it is a functionally detective novel that turns into one of international intrigue. I felt echoes of that Sherlock Holmes case. Yeah. Doesn't mean derivative, just echoes, you know? Yeah, and it, there is actually a direct reference to Sherlock Holmes in this book as well. So it's Imran, Ali Imran himself, Ali Imran, MSc, PhD. He says, don't ask questions. If this doesn't happen, then next time Sherlock Holmes is not going to help Dr. Watson. So he refers to himself as Sherlock Holmes and refers to super fires, I guess it's superintendent fires, as his Dr. Watson, in a sense. And, you know, this guy fires and sort of like the cop who gets all the credit, 
Imran is this guy with a with a PhD and an MSc apparently in criminology from I think Oxford, uh, but prefers not to get any of the attention for solving his crimes. You know, he's just sort of eccentric genius that solves them. So he, you know, there's direct link there between him and Sherlock Holmes, and he's it's, it's very self aware. And I, I picked up another one too. It almost so this is this is a indirect reference that functions on the level of parody. So it says, Imran was standing alone on the footpath. Rabia had left. He took out a piece of chewing gum from his pocket and yeah. put it in his mouth, crushing it between his teeth. While thinking through things, chewing gum always proved to be his best friend. Unlike the detectives in mystery novels, he had no interest in cigars or pipes. He didn't even drink alcohol. So, you know, cigars or pipes, I feel like that's pipe Sherlock Holmes. With their- alcohol, classic, kind of like gumshoe detective you know, schwilling, whiskey, whatever. But chewing gum, be real with me, guys. Do you, do you know any adults in your life who chew chewing gum? Probably vomit mochas. Oh, I see. It's a very big thing. I don't know if you've ever heard of Sir Alex Ferguson, the great football manager. No. Nope. Well, he, he managed Manchester United for, for decades during the 90s and the 2000s. And it is widely regarded as probably the best manager of all time. And he was known for his you know, chewing gum on the sides. You know, if you sit in all the goal game. Okay. So that's kind of his thing. But he's the only guy I can think of, you know, chewing gum is his trademark. But I assume it's just a form of smoker thing. That's kind of what I think about think of chewing gum. When I see someone chewing gum, I'm like, yeah, you just smell it. I think there's just kind of an anti-tobacco thing. Like, yeah. Imran doesn't drink in this book. I don't think he's opposed to drinking at this time. I think people could drink in well, Pakistan. Well, he's a Muslim, isn't he? I believe. But at that, at uh, that time, it wasn't that. No, I was reading. Yeah, it was. It was kind of. He does say something about drinking in this book, but the the gist of it is, he doesn't drink. yeah, yeah, not completely like drink on the hands and all that. But he will have a tipple, but he's not mm. a drinker. Yeah. Well, he gets offered a drink by Lady Jahangir. Well, yeah, he goes to the tip top uh, nightclub. His um, his spurned former lover, who uh, there's so much going on in this book, but Burn. he. We did at least spend, like, she invited him back to her place and everything. Like, what's going on with that? It I was, do not it, know. It was almost, sorry, I hate to use this word parody again, but it was almost like a parody of the womanizing detective, you mm-hmm. know, with the... Yeah. She she takes him back to her house, offers him a drink. <laughs> he says, they'll have Lassie, which, I, you know, I'm not the expert in Indian food, but that's just drinking yogurt, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then he, like, husband's gone. So he's like, oh, I'm just going to like go lay down. And he, she's like, oh, the bedroom's over there. He lays himself down and she tries to join him. Like, <laughs> you know, like she thinks it's just like a pretext, you know, to get in the bedroom. She tries yeah. to join them, tries the door, it's locked and she hears him snoring inside. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I just, I just started watching uh, Seinfeld through. I've seen, you know, episodes here and there, but I just started watching all the way through. I just got, I just watched the episode with George and this woman's like, you want to come up with coffee? He's like, oh yeah, twelve o'clock. I don't want coffee. No, I'm fine. Thanks. I want coffee at this time. She walks out. Um, but I think the difference here is, I feel like Imran did it deliberately. Like he, to me, he's like because he used to be with this lady uh, Jahangir, I believe. Yeah, but then they separated, presumably because Imran's mental. <laughs> and now she's bet- married or betrothed, married to Surim at uh, Sir Jahangir. Who is like sixty odd years old and like a friend of her father's, and does actually end up becoming quite a big point part of this plot in the end, because it unravels. 
and then Burgess, he's almost like, the, he's the big bad of the story. He's like the big bad guy of the story. So he manages to sort of stitch up this this guy who is former beloved Lady Jahangir is with at the end of the book. And that's kind of like, he, you know, he exposes him in the end. And presumably she's no longer married at that point. So I expect we would see her in other books in, in the sort of Ali and Haran series. But yeah, I'm not really sure. Because like, it seems like he's just joking deliberately, not, you know, avoiding her advances. He's very aware of what she's doing is the impression I get. But he's just joking around. But I don't know. It's, it seems to me that he still is very much drawn to Lady Jahangir. And he seems, it seems to be something that pains him a little bit, I think. That's right. my impression. Well, I, I like to reveal Sir Jahangir being the antagonist of this story because... Yeah, once they rip his stake bit off. Yeah. It's, just, it, it's the... It's the there's, that, there's like stakes to that villainy. You know what I mean? It's, it's kind of like the Spider-Man conception of, of villains where it's like... The bad guy is never, you know, some random thing from the sewers. Yeah, yeah. It's mm. your science teacher who drank a potion or it's your yeah. best friend's dad who's flying around on a hovercraft with pumpkin bombs. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. it's it's cool to have that kind of like personal relationship. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want to go. I want to return back to this chewing gum idea and how I feel about Imran. I feel like Sherlock, the appeal is, wow, he's a genius. Everything he does is so cool. Anything he conceals is deliberate because he's way, he, if he gives away certain information, it might spoil his detective work. Poirot, it's the same thing. He has, he's the genius detective. He doesn't let on how much of a genius. Well, he kind of does. And his pal is an idiot. Here, the detective is ostensibly and, well, to everyone else is an idiot. Everything he says is absolutely ridiculous and not even like concealing anything. It just feels unrelated to anything going on in the book. And I thought I really like him and I really hate him as well. He's a tough detective to get used to. He reminds me of like Leslie Nielsen. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I see that. Kind of like, you know, he's gonna he's gonna get the job done, but he's gonna make an absolute ass of himself every step of the way. <laughs> yeah. I see. I actually found this book quite difficult to read at times because it's, it's almost hard to figure out what's going on, the amount of nonsense that Ali Imran says. He, he essentially never gives a straight answer to any question as opposed to him. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're right, it is the sort of thing where like, you know, he's working on something, but the dumb detective who's following the clues and the evidence like an idiot isn't getting anywhere. And as a reader, I always, it's hard to know what's going on at times just with the amount of ridiculous things that Imran says. I don't know if you guys found it quite difficult to read as well for that reason. It might be partly a translation issue as well, potentially, because I think a lot of these sort of quips and bits sort of words like that's really either. And which? I think it's the style that he's trying to go for here. And sometimes it's fun and I liked it and I thought it was clever. And sometimes it's too slapstick and it's like, why is this happening? There's some great moments where, like, I like this anyway. I think it's Fayaz is asking him, well, who will you ask for the answers? And he says, I will ask from the endless sky, the star-filled night, the slow-moving beauties. I mean, the breeze. There's another time where he says, oh, the murderer must be a lover because they stabbed into the heart and then five inches up and five inches to the left. And then he quotes a poem to explain. That's fun. But then at the beginning, he like... But then he's always quoting these poems wrong. But he's quoting them all wrong. Everyone's saying that. He's not even quoting it correctly. You don't know the words, and he's always like, he's always like, uh, what's the word? What's the word? What's the word? And you can't think of the word for it. Yeah. He just really just best to give the impression of a kind of a bumbling idiot. And yeah. I, th- I feel like if we ever actually met Ali Imran in real life, oh. he'd be the most intensely annoying person. Yeah. Yeah. 
you would ever meet. So I, he's, he's going to try hard, I think, when it comes to being funny or witty. I think there's two things go, going on here. I think there's two things going on here, one of which is kind of the in-universe explanation of, you know, he's wearing a disguise. Like any, like any classic spy, he, he, is a, he is a man undercover. He is a highly intelligent person who's the head of the secret service or something like that. Yeah. It's but their boss. He's his, everyone's yeah, his, boss. Yeah, his disguise is that he's a bumbling idiot. So, you know, he's going to quote all of this stuff, but he's going to get it all wrong. He's going to say way. stupid things or do nonsensical things or, and talk in non sequiturs. But the out of universe, the rhetorical strategy that I think is happening is I think that uh, Ibn Safi wants the reader to feel like they're in the presence of a genius. Yeah. Well, how do you do that? Well, geniuses always say things that us common people can't understand. So therefore, he's going to have Ali Imran say things that to us simple people appear tangential, irrelevant, stupid. You know what I mean? And so, so. I can't help but wonder how much is that that in, in universe disguise, and how much is this like weird aesthetic choice that I bristle at. <laughs> it feels like a weird aesthetic choice with the excuse of an in-house or in-story disguise. The readers of this, like this, is extremely successful, and there's lots of followers of this detective of Imran. These readers have so much patience with dealing with Imran's genius. It's very different from Sherlock Holmes, where it's you're let in slowly, bit by bit. But this, you're kind of kept out constantly. And it's going, it makes sense in Imran's head, and maybe it makes sense at the end. But I, I feel like it's very difficult. It's putting a lot on the reader to trust Imran. But yeah. I think it also makes, I think it makes, also makes Imran a very difficult character to get. Yeah. Because he's, a, he's permanently ironic to the point mm -hmm. where you can never actually no is he genuinely forgetting those words or is he just acting stupid yeah. yeah it makes it hard to keep up not keep up with the story well keep up with the story just in a purely like what is going on sense because it's just so filled with nonsense but also just hard to keep like invested stay invested in his his narrative and his journey a little bit i just feel like there are too few moments i think i think this book would have benefited from a couple of moments where the real inran shone through as he were i'm not sure we get those i don't know if you guys agree with that i think the problem is the perspective i was talking about you know when we first started about the kind of weighting of different elements of fiction most of this book as far as i can tell is dialogue form yeah which means that you know and when one of the characters permanently knows something that the reader and the other person in the dialogue doesn't know and doesn't reveal, but only ironically answers, what you have is a kind of dancing around on the page. Yeah. What I didn't see a lot of was strong narration in the sense of like world building. Where are they? Definitely. What does this setting look like? Where are they going? Yes. How are they standing? Who is in the room? You know, things yeah. like that. But then also like the kind of the kind of narrative summation that only a like strong omniscient narrator can provide. Like the policemen suddenly realized that Ali Imran was, was a genius and knew the answer all along. You know, like that, those kind of like summing up moments that kind of guide the reader along the path of the narrative. Yeah, yeah we do very much like, I, I agree. It's hard. I found this book very hard to, to keep up with in many ways. Cause like you said, we don't get much description of the setting. Where, where, where are we? Where are we going? It's, it's not always very clear add-on which yeah it, i find it quite a challenging book to, to yeah. read i would say not in the sense that the language is difficult but 
so sparse, like you say, in terms of like narrative and world building, and so full of dialogue. But this dialogue rarely follows the rules of sense making, as it were. Yeah, it's not logical. It'll always be. It'll almost usually be a one normal person, yeah. and then Ali Imran, and the normal person will ask normal person things, and Ali Imran will just talk nonsense. Yeah, be like oh, Confucius said, and just say nonsense. Yeah, probably not. The Confucius didn't even probably say, and then. He'll be like, and now I must go. Zip the down. We don't get any clear like idea of like, what's going on. Yeah, yeah I'm not sure. I find, I find it tricky. I feel like Ibn Safi thinks like his imagination. His imagination works in the logic of stage plays and cartoons mm-hmm. and movies. And yes, yeah, cartoons, TV yeah. shows, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And those things, you know, script based media is very dialogue heavy. Yeah. Novels generally aren't as much, but I, th- I feel like he he's kind of coming from the school of film. The beginning was tedious, the first three chapters, but watching it in a movie might be a little bit funny. He's putting on his tie, puts it too tight, and his eyes begin to bulge. He gets in the car and he's sitting the wrong yeah. way. It's all like Inspector Clouseau from the Pink Panther or like just a ridiculous, like you said, parody. Yeah. Tedious in a book, but maybe funny in a movie. When when he gets in the fight and he pulls out a rubber doll, and and they they think it's a gun, but it's a rubber doll, and then he presses a button and it shoots out yes. smoke that makes him unconscious. Yeah. It's like what? <laughs> yeah, there's that, and there's also the uh, the whole plot kind of revolves around the detective murder. Turns out, and this is how this kind of fits into the spy genre and the detective genre. You know, they're, they're trying to solve this murder where, as the best I understand it, because I do feel like my understanding spotty of what actually happened in this book. Um, there's a house next to this judge's house. A murder takes place there, and there's you know, three knife wounds exactly the same distance apart and exactly the same depth into the body. And a couple of then the next day or a couple of days later, a dead body, same place, same house. And this house has somehow been opened up by like the keeper of the grave, or whatever, because there's supposed to be some martyr who was buried there, well, apparently. Uh, although I think probably not. Uh, on reflection, once we get to the end of the book, then. You know, they're trying to solve this murder. But then it turns out that, you know, through looking around behind this wall, there are these secret papers from the foreign office. Well, half of the set of secret papers are very, very important in terms of like top secret information from the civil service, not civil service, from the, you know, the secret service. And then the murders have taken place whereby this guy, the keeper of the grave, is actually using this house as an elaborate plot to catch the people who have taken these papers, one of whom being the guy, Sajat Angir. And he set up this machine that has three knives in it, which is why the knives are at the same distance apart and the same, you know, depth. Because these people keep coming into this house thinking that they're going to find these foreign office papers, the other half, the missing half. But actually, they're being trapped and killed because he's trying to trap the guy who's actually done it. That's why I understand the plot to be. Uh-huh. And then at the end, we saw this all gets revealed kind of haphazardly. And somehow Ali and Ran knew this was going on all along. Uh, as, yeah, this guy, Ayaz, is this sort of mystical keeper of the, the grave, whatever he's pretending this is a martyr site, so he can ultimately catch the guy. But I guess the whole reason I'm really telling this story is just so I can act, you can actually understand the bit that I think is very funny, which is when he... These guys realize that Ali Imran has somehow found the other half of these papers that the, the bad guys are looking for. And they send a message saying, all right, if you need to return to these papers to X location, 
or else we're going to kill you. And then, because there's a couple of like scenes in between, but long story short, he does provide them a briefcase. Says, here are the papers. And they say, okay, thank you. And they get these papers back into the car and three frogs jump out and they nearly crash the car because he's planted three frogs in the, uh, you know, the, uh, the bag instead of, instead of the papers. Kind of remind me a little bit of the big Lebowski scene where he puts his dirty underwear in the, the suitcase and throws it out there, throws it yeah. out the car. It's my dirty undies, dude. Um, <laughs> See, so, yeah, I think that's the comic bit. And then at the end, somehow, how does, do you guys remember this? Whether there's a snake as well that gets returned to him? Oh, right at the end, right at the end. Beware, be cautious. So, yeah. So Imran gets this when the case has all been solved. If the beer off, a beard off Sergio Hangir, he turns out to be this guy who's searching for these top secret spy documents. And so now the head of the secret service, El Imran has, you know, actually solved this great sort of spy situation and then he picks up a bag and he returns to superintendent Fayaz his the, the watch into his shell homes were. Um, and he says what are those 10,000 rupees you received from Sir Jahan gear in, in this bag he's like why would he give, give you money and then he opens up this bag and a snake jumps out and so like, beware be cautious Imran shouts like a or wherever that is but Fayaz had already opened the bag he cried out alright back Ray and sprang onto the sofa a snake emerged out of the handbag and stuck crawling on the floor. May God wreck you, Imran, you rascal, fires Rod, standing on the sofa. So yeah, they they, they reciprocate his crazy frog's gesture with, with a crazy snake. And of course, Imran doesn't, you know, get caught by this. It's dumb, you know, Dr. Watson S detective, super fires, who has the ridiculous temerity to be a normal person. And yeah, gets a snake in his room. And that's pretty much how the book ends. Yep, that's the final page. Answering a gag with a gag. Send Imran, Imran, the final line. Yes, last, last night we exchanged frogs and snakes, Imran said, and starts chewing his gum in a glum manner. And then his face took on that foolish expression again. So, yeah, all sorts of slapstick going on this book. Feels as much like a lineage of cards it does aspire already text. I think it's one of those classic situations where it's like, you know, oh, this guy's the oldest in India ever. And it's like, because you have a significant portion of the world's population. I also wonder how true it is because in the beginning, you know, the, the introduction, which is glowing, absolutely glowing is written by his kid yes talking about how incredible he was and then the the cover the cover of this book has a quote from agatha christie yeah that is not probably true because that never happens yeah oh i'm <laughs> glad you guys read that too yeah but then uh, it's funny right because like literally on the front cover of this book i've got it's like uh, yeah. agatha christie says i don't know urdu but have knowledge of detective novels in the subcontinent there is only one original writer ibn isafi and did it happen? Almost <laughs> certainly not. She didn't read it. How would she know? So a new, a local the- newspaper claimed that they ran into Agatha Christie at an airport while she was on a connecting flight and got yeah. that quote from her and then published it. And so that's, that's where it came from. And then years later, after Agatha Christie had died, people were trying to verify this. And Agatha Christie's daughter was like, she never went to India. <laughs> 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 They never run into her at a connecting flight. <laughs> but it's great because like whenever we read a book, like I'll always like, you know, look it up on the internet, see if there's any interest in articles, see if there's any interest in blogs about it, whatever. And every single one I read refers to this Agatha Christie quote <laughs> as if it actually <laughs> happened. Yeah. It's just still works today. Like say what you like about it as like a cynical marketing strategy, but these kids these the safety kids yeah. knew what they were doing because People in 2023 are still saying, oh, Agatha Christie says this is the best. Ability. Also, it wasn't translated into English at yeah, that time. Yeah, it was translated like 10 years ago. Yeah. 
So she's like, I don't know Urdu, but I know that Indy Safi is the one. I can't read it. Well, great. You don't know Urdu. <laughs> like, if, if I was stopped at an airport on a connecting flight and someone said, hey, what do you think of this guy? Ibn Safi. He's, he's a great text like you. And we really want a quote from you just to say he's good. Like, what are you going to say? I don't know. You might just say, the hell is that? I'm sure he's good. <laughs> I'm sure he's good. He is <laughs> great. I'm sure he's a detective writer in the subcontinent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I, I, I don't know. But I, I find, I mean, no offense to my man Ibn Safi, but I can't imagine reading 120 of these books. Well, Good Lord. I, I can imagine reading 120 of them in the sense of like, I've watched 120 X Men cartoons. Well, it's quite easy and breezy. You know, I mean? yeah, like. Like, they, they don't seem to me like they're trying to be, like, the doorstop novel. They seem to me more like they're trying... They're, 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 they're the pulp that comes out, the dime store novel that, you know, you say, oh, I'm going to pick up my chewing gum <laughs> and give me the new Ibn Safi. I'm going to pick yeah. up my Lassie. Well, apparently, like, well, from yeah. this glowing... From this glowing... Um, introduction. Uh, forward. Review, yeah. This introduction, the forewords, it does it does, it does say that he was regularly chastised by the literary elite yeah. being a popular writer. But it also says that Ibn Safi wouldn't have cared because for him, it was all about, fiction was all about escapism, <laughs> is the way he understands it. Apparently, Ibn Safi, you know, responds to his critics saying that whatever the, whatsoever the quality of fictional literature, it's eventually a means to mental escape. Its purpose is to provide recreation at one or the other level. Just as a footballer cannot be entertained by a game of chess, similarly elitist or high literature is absolutely meaningless for a big segments of our society. Then why should I write for a few drawing rooms? Why should it be more popular? Maybe this way, some high concepts may reach the common people too. So, oh. you know, he excuses himself from that, says, yeah, it's not highbrow, but most people don't enjoy highbrow or can't even read highbrow. But he still wants to convey some big ideas or high concepts to the common okay. people. I read that, and that mm. sounds great, but I'm not, it's not clear to me what high concepts are being delivered by this particular book. I don't, I don't yeah. know if I'm... I, I mean, like, if you told me that Frank Herbert wrote that, I would say, yes, Frank Herbert writes escapism with high concepts that are kind of dripped down in there. You know, <laughs> Frank Herbert writes candy with a little bit of medicine mixed in. I'm, I'm, it's not clear to me that Ibn Safi gets the same. Like, I'm not sure what the what the medicine within the candy is <laughs> with, with Ibn Safi. Yes. No, am I? But, but then, you know, again. I doubt whether he even said that, you know, it's like one of those. I don't know what's yeah. true in this situation. <laughs> but you know what? There's a lot of Ibn Safi's stories. Maybe this is just, you know, the first, ne you know, never judge a writer by their first work. And I, this could yeah. be his first work. Yeah. I believe this is the first in the Ali Run series. And it, it very much just spent this energy of establishing this character. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure he wrote things before Ali Imran. Yeah. But I mean, like in this. Of this character. This is the first one. You know, he has a, he, yeah, I mean, even if it's not, he has 119 other chances to take it somewhere else and, and get some ideas, yeah. you know, out there that he wants to explore. So hard to know. But I, I can't think of any detective or, or spy novels that I think really dive deep on deep, timeless issues mm. of import only to high literature. You know what I mean? That's true. They are also escapism. I guess it's, it's not me bringing that into the conversation. I'm not saying that it must have some high concept that's not worthy of value. I feel like that's this seems to be what Ibn Safi said. Maybe you will get a mystery author speculating on the nature of murder or vengeance or jealousy. Maybe you'll get a 
spy fiction author kind of ruminating on whether the ends justify the means, whether, you know, who villain and hero are relative. I mean, but certainly in, in John the Carrey and like in Spy Coming from the Cold, yeah. which we read earlier in this series, you know, there's quite quite explicit discussions about, you know, the difference between like the East and the West and, you know, mm-hmm. uh, Western ideals being put in opposition to Eastern methods and how in some sense it would be more fair to compare Western methods to Eastern methods and realize that actually mm-hmm. both the East and West are using the various methods and ultimately that's what he shows in his narrative. Well, that the West it is just as ready to get down and dirty as is the East. And similarly, we are pretty ignorant for the most part of what these Eastern ideals are. So I think he raises that issue quite eloquently, quite elegantly, and quite well yeah. in that book. So I think it isn't isn't beyond spy fiction or detective fiction to do that. And we have seen examples in which it does deal with high concepts in a palatable manner. However, I don't think this is an example of that. Not think that Nichols should be an example. One thing that that could be very different about this book than other Urdu books at the time. This is mentioned in the introduction and the foreword as well, is that all Urdu books were like a little bit pornographic or all about sex. And he said, no, I can write a book that's not about sex. So he writes detective books that have, and then I think that's probably part of the gag is when she invites him up and he locks the door and is snoring, Mm. is that everyone's like, oh, you can't do it, can you? And then he still, he successfully does it. Yeah. So maybe... I don't think there was like an Urdu detective before even Isafi created Imran, or at least until he started writing. But that was his challenge, was to write this new genre in that language. And potentially, you know, we talked about James Bond, and there's a little bit of high concepts in there, especially in the first book, and it, a little bit in the later books too. But that is also escapism. But we did find it had literary merit because the writing was so good. So maybe that's a translation issue in this even though we think the gags are not a translation issue maybe the writing is really expert you know i do i do wonder like if we flip it a little bit the supposed like high literature how much of that is really big ideas versus just storytelling sometimes i feel like it the difference between the two is more hyped up than than a real yeah i mean i don't think a good book has ever been written where someone has just said i want to convey this idea yeah generally yeah. it's a Leads to bad rising, I think. But I suppose it's more a situation whereby I think the big difference is maybe that I don't know with genre fiction and with like that there's there are certain standards that that need to be met, certain boxes that need to be ticked for a particular genre. Or, and yeah, we want innovation within genre while still maintaining that genre. Whereas I guess the idea is that literature is less restrained in that regard tick certain boxes and the idea is that it can just focus on a situation i think if as a writer you choose an interesting enough situation with an interesting enough dilemma you know the the, the concepts the bit high concepts come from the exploration of that so yeah. i don't know i wonder if that's maybe the significant difference there yeah. I, I, I guess it's different like a top-down the bottom approach i think most good books do have the bottom approach but it's about like picking interesting dilemmas to dive into i think for the most part I guess the literature is more free to do that without having to think, is this a detective story or is this fitting the theme of the series? So that's... Yeah, and you mentioned, you know, innovation in genre storytelling. I don't think anyone would accuse this of not being innovative. I mean, that's I, true. I, yeah. I, I, I wouldn't, whether in the literary tradition of, you know, its, its home culture 
or in you know more Western English centric detective novels or spy novels. I, I I don't know if I can think of anything that's exactly like this, but I do feel its influence, like the weight of its influence, like whenever someone tells me to watch a Bollywood movie and I put it on, and you get that kind of like those characters who are like very fast talking, like slapstick humor. You know, debonair, but also kind of like dumb. You know, I feel like this is like a common Bollywood type. It's very much a trope. I feel like in Bollywood, yeah. Because he's yeah, he's fast and witty. He's funny, but he's stupid, (laughs) and he makes he he does silly slapstick things often. Choking on his necktie, the rubber doll that shoots out smoke, which is like a Batman thing. (laughs) It's like a it's interesting. There's there's a lot of cultural difference between my personal tastes and where this is coming from. Not sure how to bridge that. Yes. Well, guys, we are about out of time. What say you we call a wraps on this and continue the discussion on our Patreon? Let's uh, let's put our hair down a little bit. Talk to you later, Bob and John. Talk to you later, John Zach. Talk to you later, second Bob. All right, welcome to the Patreon episode for The House of Fear by Ibni Safi. We're, we're finally behind a paywall, so we can put down our hair, unbutton our top belt button, Whoa. maybe undo. You guys can see through the webcam, I'm undoing my collar. Any any first button. Yeah. Any first button. Yeah, but not two. Good God, not two. Okay, that's, yeah. Okay, well, first off, so this is a person who, we you know, we were disagreeing on the numbers, but what I thought I read was he had another series where he wrote like 135 novels, and this one he wrote this 120 is novels. You're so right. Yeah. I read that he Probably wrote one about, in his life he was writing three novels a day, which sounds ridiculous. Oh, a month, three or four a month. So, oh, so it was a month. Yeah, so three or four a month would break down to about one novel well, a week. Uh, and I started thinking about it, and I was like, this feels like the kind of novel that someone could write yeah. in one week. This is like nano. That was literally my first thought as well. I read it. I was like, yeah. That's the first draft turned in, published. Stephen King, you know, he, I don't know if you guys read Stephen King's on writing, but he's basically just, his, his whole advice is like, sit down, don't, don't spreadsheet or plot out or do anything like that. Sit down and stream of consciousness, write everything and like cancel all your plans for three weeks. Just get the whole thing out on paper. And then spend the next year going through and adding in connections and making it dramatically salient, you know, things like that. This strikes me as someone who spent their week stream of consciousness, consciousing it, went back for the edits, but sent it off to publishers as soon as possible. Like an R.L. Stein book. I don't know if you guys read Goosebumps when you were yeah. kids. It's the man who types with one finger. I didn't know that about R.L. Stein. Yep. He's a chicken pecker. <laughs> what an insult. <laughs> You chicken pecker. <laughs> you chicken pecker. What? Isn't that called chicken pecker? <laughs> where you, where you have the, your front fingers out and you go tap, 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 tap. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I read a, by, like an autobiography by... I guess I made different associations with someone as a chicken pecker. <laughs> it just feels like two insults put together. Yeah. He's a chicken and he's a pecker. A chicken. And he has a chicken's pecker. But I bet the books, maybe they improve, or maybe he gets even more efficient in writing as quickly as possible and sending them off. But looking at them now, like numbers, 
113 through 118, all published in 1979. So he's writing these as fast as possible. It's like the like Dostoevsky yeah. getting paid Which, per word, but for him, it's like he's paid per publication. So he's like, rack <laughs> <Yeah>. it up. <laughs> Well, these were published in a periodical too, which is pretty crazy to have that long of a story in a periodical, but maybe because he's the only non-sexual story writer at the time too, people are like, oh, thank God, something's not pornographic. I'll take it. It's funny how India seems to be the reverse opposite of the West, as it were, in that regard, where, you know, it was controversial to be non-sexual. Yeah, it's really flipped the, the two perspectives. I wanted to wanted to mention we we've talked about Imran as a character. We've talked a little bit about his sidekick, or at least in this book, he's the sidekick. Maybe that's dropped, but Fayaz. And I think everyone, when they write a detective novel, they have to. Maybe they read as uh, Agatha Christie. Maybe they read Edgar Allan Poe, who really created it. But I think everyone goes back to Sherlock Holmes, and they have to think like, this is where I start. I need to make characters like this or depart from this in some way. And there you have. Two extremely smart people, but one is the smartest person in the world, and then the other is very smart, and they're really good friends. They get along really well. In Agatha Christie, we have a very smart person who's really annoying, and then we have an absolute idiot who is a sidekick, but is used as a sidekick because he's so stupid, he will get the bad guy feeling comfortable until they confess too much. And then here we have someone posing as an idiot, but everyone, his disguise is permanent because his dad doesn't like him because he's an idiot. Only his mom will let him stay in the house. He is not like in disguise anymore. He is living as an idiot. And then we have this other guy, Fayez, who is famous now in the service because he works with Imran, who always solves his cases for him. Imran is his boss. He doesn't know that. But Fayez is well known because he works with Imran and always solves the case because he's by his side. So that's an interesting departure where you have the one that the reader is supposed to connect with most imran is you cannot identify with him at all and then the other guy who's a regular person is kind of on the outskirts but he is actually the famous detective in everyone's eyes in this world's eyes so it's a disorienting interpretate or disorienting take on this this detective and sidekick pair uh, you know i i didn't quite see Fayez as the uh, watson in this relationship i saw him as that cop and home. Yeah. Yeah. I can't remember that cop's name, but the one who's always off. Yeah. Off Lestrade. The, the, Lestrade. The Lestrade. Yeah. Lestrade. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But, but Lestrade has kind of like a sinister Neanderthal aspect to him. You know, he's kind of dumb yeah. and gloating. Whereas Fayaz is just like perpetually, you know, Fayaz's heart is in the right place, but he's perpetually off the scent. Yeah. Well, I mean, I'm more accurate. He just doesn't have the sort of divine insight that Ali Imran has. I think part of the problem with this book for me is just the sheer arbitrariness of his discoveries. It just seems like, oh, well, I knew there'll be something behind this wall. It feels kind of like, so I don't know, to me, like, Superfire seems to be a perfectly competent detective, but Mm -hmm. he is merely human. You know, he doesn't instinctively know immediately, somehow, what's going on. And, you know, I don't know if that's because of his, like, degrees from Oxford or you know, just part of the cult of genius that he's he's trying to build around Ali Imran. But I think what this book lacks compared to like Sherlock Holmes is like when Sherlock Holmes gets to the end of the book, you always sort of realize you could have solved it the whole way through yourself. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But whereas I think this well, falls into the trap of like detective fiction, it's just like you could never have solved this. You are not Ali Imran. Yeah, 
Uh-huh. Well, but but so it doesn't tell you how he solves it. Like you said, it reminds me of the newest Mission Impossible movie. Does this thing that I find deeply disturbing when films or books do this, which is like you put the heroes in a kind of like difficult situation, and then you raise the stakes and you raise the stakes and you raise the stakes until they're at a point of pure impossibility. So in Mission Impossible, there's a train, you know, it's over the edge. They're they're. You know, they're doing the kind of like Christopher Nolan style climbing up the train against gravity. You know, things are all shifted. And then you get to this moment where you're like, they can't get out. And then it shows the the train crumble and fall. And then it's revealed that our heroes got out. They're sitting on top and they're safe and happy. But but they cut past the point where you learn how they solved the problem. You presented, you told us it was impossible for them to survive. And then you cut to the point where they have survived and they're, and this is keep an eye out, not just Mission Impossible, but I mean, just like fiction in general, genre fiction in general. When they do this, I find it deeply disturbing. But it's always like, how did you know this? Or how did you get out? Well, he's, he's out of the run. He just did. He knew it all along. (laughs) I I do think some of it could have been figured out, like in the sense that, like, why are the knife, why the knives always exactly the same diameter? Part not diameter. Why are they always exactly the same distance apart? Why are they always exactly f- as far into the body? Ah, oh, well, of course, it was a machine that did. Yeah, that well, kind of follows. I could see why Alien Man might have figured it out. I don't know. A lot of the plot just feels arbitrary to me. Anything else you want to say about this book? I would. I want to see other mysteries that have that Stephen King style because this clearly does. The Seed of the Pants. Because I think in a mystery, you really do have to plot it out and know exactly what's going to happen. Or the, otherwise, your readers are going to say, no, that is, I can't solve this. It's impossible to solve. This is a miraculous case. Yeah. And it, it doesn't feel like anything about it is like particularly miraculous per se, but it just, it doesn't feel necessary any of this has occurred. Then, it always yeah. does just feel like, it almost, it doesn't feel like he, he knew what he was writing before he started writing it again. And I was sitting at Stephen King. Yeah. Uh, I think really that just does pretty much, I think, gets the root of the problems of this book, which is that it just seems to have been written very haphazardly, and I don't see any lines that have been edited or removed. There's a lot of lines, I feel like. It needs an edit. It's like it's not been edited. Yeah. Yeah. You get what you put in, you know? Reminds me of the line I did like from this book where the, the body that they've known is in the house, the dead body, and then suddenly it's disappeared. And they all say, "What? Who took the body?" And Ali Imran says, "Well, sometimes the best poets remove one line to improve their poem, but that's never resolved." Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah, it's never. It's not nice. <laughs> yeah. uh, and apparently, there was a donkey at some point, something, and a monkey. Uh, I was not quite clear yeah. what was going on with that. Yeah. So there's little moments of inspiration, but it definitely they don't connect. All right. Talk to you later, Bob and John. Talk to you later, John Zach. Talk to you later, Zach and Bob. <laughs>